I want to take a break from Judges this morning because I need it, and I suppose that some of you need it as well. We finished up with Jephthah last week in the 12th chapter, and we'll immediately move into the scriptures dealing with Samson. And so I wanted also to take opportunity this morning to look at the book of Proverbs and see what the Proverbs say concerning the issue of motherhood. It is not lost upon me that today is Mother's Day, but it is also not lost upon me that this is the Lord's Day. And we are here to reverence and worship and respect Him. We're going to do that through looking at His Word in the book of Proverbs. There are 14 verses that we'll look at one by one. Each one of them reveals to us some aspect of a mother's influence that can either be helpful, useful, and and good in the life of a child, or that can be rejected and scorned and mocked and end up producing what the book of Proverbs calls a fool. So let me begin by reminding you that the scriptures refer to Satan as the adversary. The word adversary there means opponent. He is opposed to the truth of God. Peter tells us in his epistle that The devil is like a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus told us that the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He also told us that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus told us concerning himself. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. So it could be said, I suppose, of Satan that he is the chaos, the lie, and the death. The two kingdoms represented, one by Christ and the other, he who holds sway over this world system, categorized in the scripture as the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. They could not be more opposed to one another. No two enemies stand in greater contrast than these two kingdoms and the heads of these two kingdoms. We're reminded by Paul in Colossians chapter 1 that there is a deliverance, a deliverance that comes to those, and all of us begin life in this way because of our sinfulness. There is a deliverance that comes taking one from the power of darkness and conveying or translating them into the kingdom of the Son of the love of God. And it is this Son in whom we have redemption through His blood and we find the forgiveness of sins. So even though these two kingdoms are opposed to one another and opposed greatly to one another, even though God has given Satan a little bit of a leash to exercise his power, and authority for a time, we know that there is a way. That way is Jesus Christ. 
We know that there is truth in the midst of error and falsehood and lies, and that truth is Jesus Christ. We know that there is life to be found in a culture of death, and that life is to be found in Christ and in he alone. All of that said, there is scarcely a greater display of the adversary of all truths sway over the world Scarcely a greater display in his ability to distort and make contemptuous the beauty of God's creation and design for both male and female than in this area of Christian motherhood. What is God's design? Does he have a design? I don't want to be heard this morning as someone just decrying the darkness. It's easy, that would be easy for me to do. That would be easy for you to do. Just to stand here and curse the darkness. That's not my intent, and I hope and pray that's not the way you will receive this. I do want to warn you, the darkness will creep in your own heart if you let it. The darkness will creep in your own mind if you allow it. Jude tells us of those who crept in on their bellies unaware, unnoticed, and greatly affected the church of God. So let us be on our guard and beware. One of the sad realities of the day in which we live is that there are many within the professing church of the Lord Jesus Christ whose thinking is very akin to the world. Let us be different. God give us grace, God give us mercy to be and to think differently. It is no wonder, no coincidence, that throughout history, not just today in which we live, but throughout history, Satan has led a successful campaign against God's creation and his design of both masculinity and femininity. Today the lines are beyond blurred. Today the lines are completely sown in confusion. Many men lost in sin think themselves to be women and vice versa. I can say this with all certainty, and it's safe for me to say it, that you will never see in your lifetime, nor will I, nor will your children or grandchildren see a biological male conceive in his womb and bring forth a child. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because it's contrary to nature and it's contrary to the God of nature. That's not to say that, quote, science and biological altering may not produce in its own day and time a male mother. But that's going to be a product not of God's design, but a display and a great one of that of man's depravity. Godless culture hangs its hat on exchanging the truth of God for the lie. Romans chapter 1, the downward death spiral of a culture ends with Paul saying just that. The truth of God exchanged for a lie. So let me get back to my point here this morning just a bit. I'm thankful to have my own mother in attendance this morning. 
The older I get, the more I appreciate her and all that she has done for me in my life. I also have my mother in love here this morning. Thank you for raising my wife and being on my side, even though there are times I'm sure you wished I would have made a different choice here or there. The scriptures are not silent on the issue of motherhood. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam named his wife Eve, and her name means life or living, from that point forward, the Bible is full of wisdom concerning the high calling of the female part of God's creation to motherhood. What I'm about to say will not be culturally popular, certainly not politically correct. I don't say it for shock value at all, but I say it just to adhere to the truth. God has assigned a nobler work to women than to merely parallel man's activities. You have a higher calling. These words belong to Walt Chantry. He says, there is no more pitiful person in the world than the woman who, quote, has it all together in business, but whose family is falling apart. She may be the epitome of energy, organization, talent, and efficiency, only to have her house fall down around her. And I end quoting him there. To the young ladies and future mothers in the, in the room, I want to speak to you directly with this next sentence. God's design for you is beautiful. It is beautiful because he has declared it to be so. So close your ears to all the clamor of the world. Close your ears to all of the lies of the devil. And listen to what God says in his word to you. And by grace, embrace the high calling of motherhood if God is pleased to give it to you. I want you to remember before we get into the book of Proverbs, the influence that Paul recognized that Timothy's mother and grandmother had over him. He said, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So through instruction, through modeling, through prayer, certainly both Eunice and Lois were used of God in Timothy's life. The interesting thing about Timothy, his father is not mentioned in Scripture anywhere. Most believe that Timothy's father was not even a believer. But yet this man that Paul would be so instrumental in bringing him to faith, God would use him mightily, and both his mother and his grandmother are called out and commended. And that just aligns with history. Throughout history, secular history or church history, but especially in church history, many of the missionaries, pastors that we hold in high esteem throughout the years credit not their fathers, but their mothers for giving them a biblical foundation and for modeling for them the true Christian life. Charles Spurgeon, for example, his father and his grandfather, both pastors, but whom does he credit? His mama. The same for John Newton. John Newton's mother died when he was seven years old. 
John Newton lived an atrocious life as a young man, being the captain of a slave trading ship. But before his mother died when he was seven, she taught him how to read, how to read the scriptures, how to memorize scriptures, how to read and sing hymns. And he credits, in his, own, in his own words, his mother, seven years early in life of influence for where the Lord would eventually bring him. And stories like that are told over and over and over again, which reminds us not only of the power of a mother that prays, but a power, the power of a mother who recognizes her unique place in the life of a child. And it is unique. There is no one that could take your place, mom, in the life of your child. God has indeed given you a high calling, but he has also given you great help. So if you found the book of Proverbs, by now surely you have. I want to begin in chapter 1. And we're just going to work our way through 14 verses here. So in that sense, this sermon's a little unusual. We're not staying settled down in one place. And as we look at these verses out of Proverbs, I want you to notice how these verses completely destroy the lies of the devil concerning motherhood. I want you to see how these verses completely annihilate the opposition. We like weapons that do that, don't we? We like weapons that will come into a situation and just leave destruction in their path when it's called for. That's what the scriptures do to falsehood and error in any situation, but especially this one. This is the hot button topic of our day, right? Or at least one of them. And so, Lord willing, by the time we look at all of these, we'll, we will have had the wisdom and the power of the Word of God completely destroy the opposition. So, chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, My son, hear the instruction of your father. And do not forsake the law of your mother. So my first point here, a Christian mother is to be heard. She has a, quote, law to speak. And it's akin to the instruction of the father here in the eighth verse. But I want to bring to your attention here that it's not just the father, but also the mother in the Christian home that has something of value to say. She speaks what she's been taught, what she's been taught of God. And what she speaks equates to the truth of God. And when she does so, and when this is true, I'll grant you that this is not true of every mother. We're going to end up later making some application on what to do if you find yourself not having a mother like this. But if God has so graced and blessed you with a Christian mother who speaks the truth to you, notice in verse 8 that the scriptures expect of you as her child to hear it. 
And that's more than just a physical hearing. Sometimes you can't escape hearing what your mom has to say, can you? But it's a hearing in an, with an inward or even a spiritual ear that's in view. And notice that the writer here, Solomon, who is the son of David, the king of Israel, says it is a great folly, the greatest kind of folly, for a child not to hear a mother when she speaks in this way. So I'm looking at all of you little people. Some of you are looking back at me. All of you little people in this room, you have a mama like this. Listen to her. Hear what she has to say. But let's not put all the responsibility upon the hearing. The responsibility here lies upon the mother as well to speak, to speak what is true, to speak what is right. A Christian mother is to be heard. Hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. This is what it will do for you. They will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. What your mother has to say will adorn you. Do not forsake it. The second, chapter 4, verse 4. And this is, excuse me, verse 3. This is Solomon saying, When I was my father's son... Tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her, and she will preserve her, she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all of your getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Here's the second point. A Christian mother oversees. In verse 3, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. Though the father here is credited for at least some of the instruction and doctrine, it is the mother here who is called out as the one overseeing or watching over. And the word here can mean nurture and care for the body and the soul. That's Christian motherhood at its best, right? Care for the body and the soul of your child. One has to be done. But don't they both really? Your child has to be physically fed. But doesn't he really have to be spiritually fed as well? The only one in the sight and notice the picture that is, that is painted here. 
This, this mother has the oversight of her child. Her eyes are on that child, and she is interested in everything that is happening in his life or her life. Overseeing everything that is affecting this child for good or for bad. It's no wonder that often, or at least a few times in the scriptures, we are or referenced to Christ's care for us as a mother hen's care over her chicks. The mother hen watches over her chicks. The Christian mother watches over, like no one else will, her own. A Christian mother oversees. If you go to the sixth chapter in verse 20, again, what she speaks here comes to the forefront. Chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. How do you not forsake them? Well, he says, bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. So here that the point can be made, a Christian's mother's words lead, keep, and light the way. What a place of influence and responsibility you all have to lead, keep, and light the way for a child. If you go down to the 10th chapter in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Here's the fourth point. A Christian mother can be grieved. And what is the point of her grief? When her offspring, her son here, proves to be a fool, devoid of wisdom, one that has rejected her counsel. All the more reason to heed all of the instructions in the Proverbs to listen Listen to what is said to you. Because she can be grieved. No one wants to grieve their mama, I don't suppose. But one of the ways that we can surely do it is to be foolish. To reject the wisdom, to reject the word of God, and then especially to reject the son of God. If you track over now to chapter 15 and verse 20, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. The point here, a mother can be despised. The word here means to be considered vile, 
despised or to be considered worthless. And notice again what the, the, the verse says there in verse 20. A foolish man does this. A foolish man despises his mother. But then this is not all that concerning this line of thought that the Proverbs give to us in chapter 19 and verse 26, something very similar. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Now all of these things are, are really in if you were to read a few verses perhaps before or after, you're going to find that this is in the context of the fool, the lazy man, the sluggard, whatever it may be. But here the point is made in verse 26, that a mother who has all of this interest bound up in you, watching over you, instructing you, teaching you, not only can she be grieved, but she can be, according to verse 26, chased away. What does that mean? It means by your own foolishness and error to chase your mother out of your life. To, in essence, say, I've heard enough. Or, perhaps even worse, to say, I know more or I know better. And this, in the end, results in one who causes shame and brings Reproach. The next chapter, chapter 20 and verse 20. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Why, why do you suppose we have verses like this? Whose design is being flaunted? God's design. Why did he make them one? The prophet asks, Malachi why did he bring male and female together? Because God is seeking a godly offspring. And when there are two parents, father and mother, working together to produce this godly offspring through instruction and oversight and nurture and care, when a child gets to the point to where they reject all of that. Notice the scriptures speak very clearly, very plainly, curse your father, curse your mother, and your own lamp will be put out in deep darkness. God has order in everything, especially within the family. There is an order of God. Now, certainly... The family can bear great consequence of sin. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I want you to see something else here in verse 23. Excuse me, chapter 23 and verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. The scriptures tell us as children of any age, to honor your father and your mother. And we are reminded right here, a Christian mother is to be cared for when she is old. What was Jesus' concern? Out of everything that was going on to him, in the midst of his being crucified for us, one of the things that he did was take care of his mother. Do you remember that? He looked at her, and he looked at the disciple he loved, 
And basically he told that disciple from this point forward, you consider her as your own and you care for her. A Christian mother is to be cared for when she is old. The second verse, excuse me, the 22nd verse, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. You skip down just a bit in that same chapter, verse 25. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. And how, how will she rejoice when you listen, when you begin to emulate, when you begin to, to believe the things that she says, when the things she says becomes your own, when the gospel and the Christ that she presents to you becomes what you are believing in and giving yourself for, then notice the verse says, let her rejoice. I'm going to ask a question and then answer it. I think this is probably right. Mothers, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't one of the greatest causes of your rejoicing over your children is when they come to faith in Christ? Is there anything greater? Let your mother rejoice. Let her who bore you rejoice. Chapter 28 and verse 24. I realize we're moving quickly, but to cover, to cover 14, we have to. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, it is no transgression or it is no sin, the same is a companion to a destroyer. So here the point, this mother can be mistreated. But again, to your own great folly, to your own peril, Chapter 29 and verse 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here is the point of this verse. A Christian mother administers discipline. You can't read the Proverbs or develop any biblical understanding of parenting without coming away with the fact that the Bible expects mother and father to lovingly discipline their children. And again, the verse here tells us the 15th of, 29, of chapter 29, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Don't leave your child to himself. The rod of correction drives away folly. We have to understand it rightly. We have to understand God's design in it. But if you, as a mother, quote, in love, refuse to discipline your child, beware. You've heard it said, I'll say it again, what that child would do to you at two and three years old will do to you at 16, 17, and 18 if you don't correct him or if you don't correct her. We're into the 30th chapter, verse 11. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. What is the outcome 
of not holding your mother in high esteem or being a mother that is worthy of being held in high esteem. There is a generation pure in its own eyes, yet not washed from its filthiness. A generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor off the earth and the needy from among men. The point here being made is that a Christian mother and even a father can be outright rejected. But the warning here again, it's all to your own folly and all to your own shame. Verse 17 of the same chapter, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. One of the most graphic verses that we've read this morning so far. But the point being made, a mother that is disobeyed brings shame upon the child. If you scorn to obey your mother, what graphic imagery your eye will be picked out and eaten of young eagles. That's hyperbole, of course, but the point well made. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's what Paul would say, Ephesians 6. And then lastly, verse 31, chapter 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Perhaps this is a summary of many we've already looked at, but a Christian mother teaches good doctrine. A Christian mother teaches their children according to the principles of the Word of God. All of these verses taken together tell us that motherhood is not a hobby. It's a high calling. One which takes grace and faith to perform well. Here we see the power of a mother to, to influence their children in a godly way, to impart godly wisdom, to exercise correction. We understand that she is to be honored, and not honoring her results in great folly and in great consequence. This is the highest of callings to succeed you will need Christ to stay in it you will need Christ to not grow weary in well doing this high calling of motherhood you will need Christ For sure, there will be seasons of joy and sorrow. For sure, there will be seasons where you want to throw your hands up in the air and just ask the question, is any of this making any difference at all? What do you do in a season like that? You simply obey the Scriptures. One of the great tools of Satan is pragmatism. And that line of thought is nothing more than succumbing to pragmatism. And pragmatism basically says, if it works, it must be right. If it doesn't work, it must be wrong. 
The temptation at times will be, I'm pouring my life, my heart, my soul into these children or to my husband, my family, whatever it may be, and it just doesn't seem to be doing any good. Is it all a waste of time? What's the biblical answer? No, it's not a waste of time. Persevere. Keep on. Pray for grace. Pray for more faith. Ask the Lord for help. God's design for motherhood is the antidote for much of what is wrong in our world. You realize that, don't you? One of the things that we're not very good at as a culture, but that we need to become better at, is to get to the, to the root issue of things. To see the real cause behind all of the stuff that has gone wrong in the world. And of course, the real wrong of all the stuff that has gone wrong in the world is the presence of sin and of coming up short before God. And then one of the results of that is that this high calling of motherhood has been forsaken and replaced with something seemingly better. There's nothing better than God's design. Nothing. So let me close by just giving a few applications. And the first one is going to be a bit personal, so you can take it as that. One of the things that I would encourage every person in the room to do is to be an encouragement, especially to young mothers. Go out of your way to encourage them. And as you are encouraging them, point them to Scripture in some way or another. Don't just parrot the world's contempt of motherhood. One of the most discouraging and disappointing things for me as a young husband and a father was to hear someone who was highly regarded in the church mock or deride my wife for embracing the high calling of motherhood. And usually they would do so just by parroting the thinking of the world. Usually it was done in the form of a joke. But rarely did anyone come alongside and just offer great encouragement. If we agree that this is God's design and it's hard, but yet great, then there is much encouragement that's going to need, be needed. And so the question always comes up, too, when we begin to talk about these things. I didn't have a mom like that. Still don't have a mom like that. What do I do? Christ has many mothers in his church. And what I mean by that is the Lord provides what you need when you need it. The value of relationships that aren't flesh and blood are highlighted in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great things that we're told about the church, and I, I take this as being the local church, is that the Lord puts it together just as he pleases. He knows what we lack. He knows what we need. He knows the timing. He knows all of the aspects of it. And the Lord is going to give what we need. So if you find yourself 
not having this type of godly influence in your life. Find her in the church. And we oftentimes reference that relationship of older, younger, and what a blessing it is when it functions as it should, when it functions within the context of the church and under some type of oversight and authority. The next point of application is to you mothers particularly and especially. Sometimes you feel like you're in it all alone. You don't have to feel that way. Use the means the Lord has given you. Many times when we feel like we're going it all alone, whether or not we really want to realize it is because we've chosen to go it all alone. When we have shut others out and not allowed them access or entrance, and then lo and behold, we find ourselves in a time of need and feelings begin to come and I'm all alone in this. Well, ask yourself the question, was it by your own choosing? You don't have to go it alone. Again, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is invaluable. It's invaluable not because this particular sermon was great, but it's invaluable because the scriptures are the greatest source of transforming. That's what Paul reminds us in Romans 12. Our minds need to be transformed. We're so immersed into the culture around us, so immersed into unbiblical thinking. It all has to be undone and unwound and washed and cleansed. And then my last two points of application here one to children and the others and the other to husbands and I take this from Proverbs chapter 31 you children if you have a mother that to any degree is attempting by the grace and help of God to do these things for you Proverbs 31 verse 28 rise up and call her blessed because not every child is so blessed of God as you not every child has the grace of God poured out on them as you. And then husbands, if you are married to a mother like this, if she has borne your children and she has given her, heart, her life's work to doing these very things, again, Proverbs 31, 28, her husband also praises her. She is your greatest treasure. God could have not given you nor your children a more priceless gift. And then if we take all 14 of these verses together, and it seems to me like to some degree the Proverbs here is like pouring all of these verses down a funnel, and at the end of that you end up with the closing of chapter 31. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Again, what a high calling, 
but what great help. What tremendous grace is yours. There is no one who can influence the next generation more so than you. You hear a lot of talk about grassroots efforts. <laughs> this is the greatest return to grassroots efforts there ever was. God help us in this area. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that in him we find the right to all things gone wrong. In him we find a remedy for our own sinfulness. And we're thankful that in your wisdom you sent him to bear our iniquity. You have laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, we're thankful to be recipients of your mercy and grace. Lord, we're thankful for the children that are here with us this morning and every parent, every mother that is represented. Lord, help them to see with new eyes the great calling that you've given them. What a place of honor and privilege they hold in your sight. Lord, we are thankful for your design. We uphold it. We glory in it. We are not ashamed to promote it and to see it as being the blessing that it is. Lord, I pray for each family, each mother here in particular. Give them the grace that they need when they need it. Help them not to despair of your help. Help them not to despair of help around them. Lord, foster in each family a culture of godliness and wisdom. Lord, how often we fail. How often we come up short. How often we know the right things and yet choose to do differently. Lord, forgive us. Help us. Grant us repentance. Lord, we pray for these children that are here this morning. Oh God, we ask you to intervene in their lives, to help them, to bring them to faith in Christ and use them mightily for your glory. Might there be many that would stand in pulpits here. Might there be those that would go to other lands and preach and carry the, the light of the gospel. Lord, we see these as, as great and high callings, but oh God, might there be many godly mothers represented in them those who even now are being taught and instructed of the word and in time given opportunity and blessing of you that they will be the very ones we've read about this morning. And they will rejoice in the opportunity. They will rejoice in the privilege. They will rejoice in the grace that you have bestowed upon them to bring forth the children of the next generation. And God, we pray that you would indeed bring a, a great revival. A great revival to your church and a great awakening to the world. Lord, help us to return and do the first works, the first things. Shake us from our slumber. Lord, if there are any 
here this morning that are discouraged in, in your in the calling that you have given, Lord, encourage them, strengthen them, encourage their hearts in the things of God. Father, we know how strong the pull of worldliness is. We sense it, we feel it at every turn. And left to our own strength, Lord, we will fall time and time again. So give us grace. Lord, we pray that you would do your work. We're confident that you will in your time and in your way. We pray asking that you do all of these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.